0: Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a YouTube and podcast channel where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be sincere gift of ourselves to our kids in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this series. And today we'll be talking about gaming addiction. This is indeed a a scourge of many parents in today's highly digitalized and electronically connected world, yeah, where we can be playing computer games with many, many players all at the same time all over the world. And uh, for today, we are very honored and delighted to have with us once again, Dr. Christopher Chok. Dr. Chok is a psychiatrist Senior Consultant and Chief with the Department of Forensic Psychiatry at Institute of Mental Health. He was formerly the Clinical Director of the National Addictions Management Service and Head of Psychological Medicine, Kotik Point Hospital. He's a visiting consultant to the Singapore Armed Forces and a member of the Medical Board of the Civil Aviation Authority of Singapore. During his career with the Singapore Armed Forces, Dr. Christopher Chok had served as Commanding Officer of Medical Classification Centre, where I used to work. He was also the uh, Deputy Commander of the Military Medicine Institute and the Head of the Psychological Care Centre. He has published three books on mental health and 20 research papers in peer-reviewed journals. So that's quite a lot to uh, come up with. So thank you very much and welcome to Catholic Parents Online once again, Christopher.
1: Thank you, John. Uh, really a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I have shared with you my memories of a uh, Medical Classification Center, and one more just came back to me, you know, uh, it was uh, quite a funny one, uh, it was uh, when my wife was uh, uh, about to deliver our, our first child, and I was uh, at the Medical Classification Center working there, and I applied for leave, so at the time, uh, there was no such thing, but I applied um, under, when it came for the reason for leave, I put paternity leave, and then <laughs> the leave form came back, bounced back to me, and my uh, CEO said, no such thing. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad times have changed, and the paternity leave is uh, given nowadays. So, yes. yeah. So that was a, quite a funny thing, which I've never forgotten all these years. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the online gaming and uh, gaming addiction. Really, yeah. Um. So I think we probably we need to start off by defining our terms. I I think in when I was younger, I would think that my parents probably defined gaming addiction as myself going out. To play football in the morning before when um, going to school, you know, before uh, the flag racing ceremony and then recess time, I'd go out to play after a quick meal and then after that, after school, I'd stay on to play until it was time for the bus to bring us back and then when I came back after doing my homework, I'd go and play again with my friends, right, and neighbors, you know. So I'm maybe at that time, that was considered gaming addiction but uh, I guess it's a very different definition now, yeah? So perhaps, Christopher, for the benefit of all of us, would you like to help us define our terms what gaming addiction really is in today's context, and perhaps how prevalent is it? I, I think
1: that uh, computer gaming is uh, something very common even at my age too, uh, I'm still playing some games, but of course uh, at our age, you know our able to our ability to react to the computer is much less. So we, we don't play those serious gaming. We probably play those casual computer games. But uh, for the young people, I think uh, this um, computer gaming is a very big deal to them. Uh, today in society, we even have professional gaming competitions and Singapore is even trying to uh, build this industry of professional gaming, much like the Olympics of uh, computer gaming, right? Yeah, and I think uh, you're doing very
0: well in that too. Huh?
1: Yeah, and, we, and it's something that is very normal, very prevalent. Um, and part of growing up actually, because uh, we are in a technological age, uh, uh, but computer gaming addiction uh, is a problem only when it, uh, someone plays computer games so much um, be it the online gaming the, the, any, any computer games or sometimes even extending even to perhaps internet addiction as well I mean watching the YouTubes the, all the TikTok videos and that, that sort of thing that um, it affects their relationship it affects their uh, school work, you know? because one of the biggest uh, challenges of the teenage years and young adulthood is really to finish your education, get your qualification, get the, the tools that uh, enable you to, you know, uh, go on to the next stage of life. But if you can't, uh, you know, if you can't finish your education because of t- computer gaming, and that will that is then considered will be considered an an addiction and a problem.
0: Yeah. So I guess it. Um. I guess from how I would interpret it, it would mean that when a person is so much into gaming that it affects his lifestyle and his progress in a negative way.
1: Absolutely, and also his relationships—not just with his friends, but uh, with his parents. I mean, uh, ideally, of course. Uh, I mean, based on today's norms it will be best to have real life friends that you can interact and talk with. But I also know that for many people, um, sometimes uh, as a teenager, it may be difficult to make friends. And sometimes uh, when a person has a certain personality disposition, sometimes the, the teenage life can be very cruel. Um, there'll be bullying, there'll be social isolation, there'll be ostracization, all these things. So, some, so for some people, it be, they may be more comfortable making friends online. Um, but uh, hopefully the friends that they make online, they still have a reasonable re- relationship. What we do see is that sometimes people make online friends and when they relate to other people online, they are relating in a position of their online persona. It is not them themselves, but it's the persona that they wish to project online and uh, through which they relate to other characters online uh, projecting their online persona so they, they're kind of like an, a fantasy character interacting with a, another fantasy character now um, this in itself is not bad um, if you have other friends and uh, you know in 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 the face-to-face world but uh, if if it's exclusively online relating to others through personas uh, you know uh, made up personas and uh, cosplay and things like that uh, while as long as you still have a reasonable relationship with other f- people on the face-to-face world and you're doing well in school good enough not so well good, good enough in school I think that's not a problem but once it affects your school your relationships your you know your family life and all that then uh, we think that that's a problem
0: right would you happen to have any data as to how prevalent gaming addiction is in, let's say, in Singapore? Uh,
1: so far, we haven't had many studies to really uh, set out the, the, the data in Singapore context. But I think that, um, as with all addictions, be it chemical, alcohol, or other addictions, I think the most serious uh, typically will affect 1-2% to of the population. Yeah, and if it's for the teenage child, young adult population, uh, it would be that one to two percent. What we do know is that uh, gaming addiction is prevalent more towards the guys. Uh, somehow the, the male brain is uh, wired towards uh, <laughs> playing games and uh, winning and scoring points. That sort of thing is that sort of uh, wiring in the male brain. And uh, what we do know is that um, many times the gaming addicts are in their teens all the way to maybe in their mid-30s. After that, uh, you know, either because of aging, the brain cannot play the games at that high level anymore, uh, then the addiction stops. eh? But but by which time, if you had many years of that addiction, it would have taken a toll on your
0: social life. eh? yeah it looks like uh, our male brains tend to get miswired very easily yeah.
1: oh yeah it's not just gaming you know it's pornography it's, yeah. sex, it's gambling all things addiction uh, is a mainly a guy problem
0: yeah. yeah is there any reason for it <laughs> why our brains are so easily miswired and we have yeah. two guys talking about gaming addiction and pornography as well
1: yeah yeah I, <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think because uh, guys tend to be uh, i guess uh, more achievement oriented we need these external validators uh, to to pad up our egos and all that. I mean, but that's just my opinion. It's just a speculation. You know, uh, girls tend to be more relational. They they get their kick and their their happiness from having a meaningful relationship. Whereas guys tend to be more achievement oriented, uh, more visual, uh, more goal oriented. Uh, that's but that's just my view.
0: <laughs> sure, no problem. Yeah, it sounds very logical though. I must say. Yeah, and um, for Parents, how do you think parents can recognize the signs and symptoms of gaming addiction in their children if they suspect the children might be a bit um you know going overboard with it?
1: I, I think to be to be fair to all the teenagers and young adults out, out there, a great number of people play games. I mean. Uh, online games, be it Xbox, be it uh, PC games, be it all on the mobile device and all that. A lot of people do. I, I, I admit that I, I myself do. I, I, I still play computer games. But it's just about the amount of time you, you spend on it and how much investment uh, in terms of your time, in terms of your emotions and your, you know, your, your life that you, you place on it. I think if someone plays a few hours a day and uh, they, you know, they still come out for dinner with parents and they, they, there's still some conversation and you know that they're doing okay in school, I think that's okay. But it's, if, you, if you notice that a child keeps playing computer games, locks the door, you know, misses meals with the family and uh, perhaps even skip school even, uh, mm-hmm. then that could be a problem. But behind, especially for teenagers, behind the computer gaming also, many, uh, I, I guess there's about 10% of teenagers who, who will be depressed um, because of their school, the natural predisposition, or maybe because of a relationship issue with someone, they feel they hold dear, uh, a romantic relationship. I, I think some people do turn to gaming uh, as a coping, a way of coping, to pass time when they are depressed. So I, I guess, I think it's, it's, it's okay if people do play computer games, even if they play one or two, three hours a day of computer games, I think that's very normal. But when it goes into eight, nine hours, ten hours, and they don't interact with the family anymore, then I think we should suspect that uh, there, there is a problem. Yeah.
0: I guess the only blessing in my case was that I did go uh, do some uh, computer games in the past, but because I was so bad at it, I, I just gave up. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So I guess um, at this point, it might be also good for us to uh, identify or perhaps uh, try to uh, see what the risk factors are that can predispose an individual to becoming a gaming addict.
1: I, I think that firstly, um, uh, for all addictions. Um, if there's a family history of someone in the household or multiple people in the household uh, that have one form of addiction, be it alcohol, drugs, gambling, uh, it is a risk factor because uh, it, it says that uh, the wiring of the brain when it comes to uh, uh, what we call a dopamine uh, response to the dopamine uh, excitation, uh, uh, it's, uh, there is, it can be abnormal. So that's the, that, that's the first risk factor. The second risk factor is that there are some people um, that uh, they, they may not have the autism spectrum disorder, but maybe there's someone in the family that has autism spectrum disorder. And so that certain traits may be passed down uh, intergenerationally. Uh, they may not have the full syndrome, but they may have just have shades and traits of the autism spectrum. Some of these people are predisposed to having uh, gaming addiction. Thirdly, I think uh, when people, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when they have uh, emotional distress from depression, um, it's mainly depression for a teenager, you know, they may turn towards a, uh, gaming, gaming as a form of coping, just to distract themselves from their moods, just to get on with life, that sort of thing. Um, so, do do these are the main uh, risk factors uh, for gaming addiction?
0: Yeah. Right. So it seems to me that what you've mentioned would uh, appear to relate to familial factors, um, perhaps even to um, factors that may have affected them in life, huh? like uh, being depressed or being um, affected negatively in an emotional way, um, and um, maybe maybe they've been. Bored and couldn't find anything else that that they could do and, and things like that. Would you say that uh, that's I've summarised your what you said correctly? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah, this thing about being uh, bored. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really uh, a big factor because I think I think gaming is very and en- and en- engaging in that sense like It engages many parts of your senses. Be it visually, action in action in the when you win points, you get the dopamine firing and then the, you know and then and sound and music everything is designed towards making you want to play it so i i guess when a person is depressed or they they, they feel isolated they feel lonely i think that that, that 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 is a world that they can easily just slip into because there's so much stimulation there uh, and it's non-judgmental game is not it's not it won't judge you your your Peers will judge you, but your the game won't judge
0: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you won't get rejected by the game, right? In fact, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: uh, at least most games, at least <laughs>
0: <laughs> until it's game over. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, well, I think it uh, seems that um, the negative consequences of gaming addiction would be things like um, um, its effects, negative effects on the personal life, personal development, uh, relationships, family, friends, and so on. Are there any other uh, negative consequences uh, you would uh, uh, say? Can happen in gaming addiction?
1: I, I think that uh, all addictions, uh, it has been very well documented that all addictions lead to depression. The reason is because uh, initially once one gets a thrill from the, the thing that they are addicted to be it drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography or gaming or gambling. Initially uh, it is thrilling and nice, but ultimately, after many times, because they have to go back to it, uh, it becomes compulsive. Once it becomes compulsive, they feel that they have to do it because they have no other choice. They are just, you know, robotically doing it. Then it becomes very, uh, like, this, uh, you know, non-pleasurable anymore. And they, they feel that, you know, they, they are just uh, doing it because they are doing it compulsively. And eventually, because of the social isolation and uh, you know, that the, the they themselves know that uh, they're not enjoying it anymore, but they just have to do it, uh, then they get into a state of depression. I mean, in the last two years, the COVID experience has taught us that really we, uh, as human beings, uh, we need that social interaction. Uh, it, it, it may seem taken for granted in the non-COVID years and, and all that, no? but the COVID uh, two years showed us that actually we as human beings, even chit-chatting and just you know, talking and all that, it's very energizing for some of us. Huh? Yeah, And if you're in you know, a whole gaming world, in you know, your virtual world, and just interacting with uh, AI or computer, uh, it, I think eventually it takes a toll on the person. However, I do know there's another subsegment segment uh, of, of these gamers whereby they do interact with other online gamers in a virtual way. I, I think for some of them, when they haven't reached the point of addiction and they are interacting with these so-called other online gamers in a fairly social way, very human way, but online, I think that's all right. Mm. But once they have to put on this Persona, uh, this little, you know, uh, uh, false identity, this little cloak and false identity, and they interact with uh, yet another person in a false identity way. Uh, I think eventually uh, it, it may seem fun in, initially, it's quite interesting, but I think eventually I think it takes a toll on them as well. And they also know that they may not develop the skills required. Uh, in daily living uh, to be able to negotiate the, the social jungle of our, so- of our society. I mean, the truth is that when we, as we go through school, as we go through NS, as we go through our working world, um, we, we have to interact with people, all sorts of people, uh, with all sorts of uh, issues, right? So, I mean, people have different uh, quirks and Ways of interacting. And by exposing ourselves to all these situations, we develop social skills uh, to, to navigate the social world. But certainly, I think in the online world, they also have to navigate their own social norms on the online world. But most importantly, is that ultimately, one day, for the majority of us, we still have to come back to the human face to face world. And if you have been interacting online all the time, uh, and trying to navigate that world, some of these skills may not be applicable to the face-to-face world. Yeah. And that's where they have lost out. Right?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, like you mentioned, I think that once they lose out on the, the relational aspects in real life, right, and that is when problems will probably begin for them.
1: And uh, yes, and, and it, it does it does happen that way. Yeah, Yeah.
0: yeah. I've had some uh, cases whereby some of the young guys uh, who see me and uh, they were into gaming, they actually were led on from there, you know, from various pop up or whatever. They actually went on to pornography from there, starting off with gaming as young kids, and then from there they just went on to pornography addiction. Um, do you think that's rather common in um, these uh, circumstances whereby people who go into gaming after some time might actually be tempted or led into pornography addiction?
1: I I, th- I think that uh, I I although I don't have any scientific research. To support of, or refute what I'm going to say, but it's not surprising if that were to be the case because this is the online world. I mean, even as we are doing this interview now, we are doing it online too. So so many things are online these days. Mm. So it's not surprising if the uh, uh, on the one hand there's gaming, then on the sec- on the next screen that they have, uh, you know, is something pornographic. Uh, because mm. these things are very prevalent mm. online. So, um, and both uh, gaming and pornography serve to stimulate the same dopamine system, <laughs> which gives us pleasure. You know? So basically, you're just get, getting a double whammy of the same uh, pleasure-seeking behavior. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, that's good. So thanks. So far, we've been actually discussing the uh, risk factors the um, and the negative consequences of a gaming addiction, right? Not, not normal gaming uh, playing you know but addiction um, so perhaps right now I guess for parents they will probably be um, quite concerned about how they can um, help their kids if they feel that their kids are going in that path of gaming addiction and having their relationships at home and with friends and the school work affected how uh, what can parents do in this situation
1: I think it really uh, depends on the age of the child and when you start um uh, noticing that, that there's a problem. Um, I, I think that uh, when if you notice uh, a child in primary school, it's very different. Your approach is different from a young teen and very different from an older teen and even a young adult. I think uh, that uh, for young uh, primary school uh, age child, if you notice that they're spending too much time on the screen and all that, I think we should uh, do what we should fulfill our duty as parents you know and do parenting Um, our kids will not listen to us their, their whole lives, much of their lives, some of their lives but not their whole lives primary school I think for many children they are still susceptible to the influences of their parents I will want to say now that firstly we must invest in the relationship with our child, we shouldn't be distant parents and we should invest in the time uh, in our child, we should uh, spend our time if we can, if our resources allow us to, to give them a variety of experiences, both online and offline, including cycling at the park, you know, and going out for walks, uh, things like that, you know? or even bring them to places, you know, just for novel experiences, uh, because that's very stimulating too when you bring a, a child to different places. Then uh, if you notice that the child is still spending too much online I, for primary school going child, I think it is uh, reasonable to really restrict the, uh, the online time. I think devices today do allow for parental controls. Mm-hmm. Routers do allow for you to switch it off uh, at certain times of the day. So I think we should try to learn how to use these parental controls In our devices, uh, at least for the kids of primary school age. Uh, When it comes to secondary school age, I think at the early secondary school age, I think we still have some hole on our kids. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, I think at that time. You have a better
0: hole on your kids than I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We still have some hole, (laughs) Uh, but it it degrades very quickly. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think that uh, maybe you can start negotiating instead of uh, insisting. Uh. So maybe you can negotiate for, for certain hours and things like that. Uh, I, uh, of, of screen time and, and play time and all of that. Uh, but by the time you reach a uh, late uh, teenager, maybe 16 and above, I think it gets harder and harder. And hopefully at the time, um, um, uh, the, the I think the best way... Honestly, is try to build a relationship um, because I, I'm sure the child has other interests other than online. It's really the, the I I don't want to criticize parents here, but as a parent myself, I'll be honest to say that I'm not perfect. I have my own quirks. I have my own shortcomings. So.
0: Welcome to the club.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so I think parents themselves should really start to reflect upon: Do I have any shortcomings that really uh, you know distance myself from the child and all that? Uh, am I doing something that is not so ideal that uh, distance myself from the child? And if if a, ch- a parent has that insight, then maybe we can correct even ourselves such that uh, we can start to relate to the child. Uh, the truth is that I think most children naturally, for the vast majority of kids, I think they do wish to relate to their parents. Uh, but I think that uh, sometimes ourselves, we have our own quirks, we have our own shortcomings that we must acknowledge and you know uh, improve on, uh, so, uh, and wonder why our kids don't want to interact with us. You know that that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that I guess that, that's that's our challenge um, being parents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would agree with you. Um. I think what you brought up is so important, this thing about the necessity for the relationship with our children, building up that relationship so that we can actually have a good time uh, being there for each other, communicating with each other well, and for them to know that there are other good things in life, um, including parents, yeah, that they can uh, turn to rather than just gaming, and also um, spending time with them and doing things with them such that they can have um, options, alternative options, so to speak, to gaming that they can enjoy. Right, whether it's cycling or playing football or just uh, being with the family in fa- family outings and things like that, right? That, like you mentioned. So, yeah, I yeah. Yeah, fully agree with you. These are just so important, right? Um, but I guess uh, once it comes to the uh, really difficult ones where no matter what parents do, no matter how much they've tried, sometimes, well, we know it just doesn't work. Um, would you suggest that the parents not shy away from going to counselors and psychiatrists, psychologists, even at least for some professional help?
1: I, I do think that, uh, okay, I think these are some of the uh, so-called uh, red flags and I, I guess uh, uh, things that one should watch out for. I think if the door is closed, locked, and the, the person doesn't join you for meals and dinners and outings, uh, or even some of the basic uh, family activities like visiting grandparents and all that, I think that's a red flag. Uh, if you see that their school grades are uh, deteriorating, I think that's a red flag. I think if they're not upkeeping themselves, uh, meaning self-care, uh, self-uh, just basic self-care, some teenagers stop going to school, they start sprouting long hair, they, they know that that's sort of thing. I'm not I'm not, nothing against long hair, no. I mean, fashionable long hair is great, no, but if you're sprouting long hair and it's not washed and you know that, that sort of thing, it, it says that you're not uh really uh keeping taking care of yourself. These are all red flags. I think when that happens, I think uh, it is uh, something good to consider uh, getting professional help because sometimes um, the relationship between the child and parent is so uh, is so you know, tense already that uh, I think it's probably best to have another person come in to to be a neutral party. You know because uh, sometimes the messenger. The parent being the messenger is just the wrong vehicle to deliver that message. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think based on what you've said, I mean, enlisting the help of um, other family members or relatives or friends. Huh? And like you said, also, if necessary, the professionals to come into the picture to help as a third party. I think that's something which parents should not shy away from if really needed. Yes,
1: right? I, I totally agree. You Because you see, sometimes, you know, in Singapore, we've been brought up to feel that the nuclear family is the norm. But when you look at all the other societies around the world, the nuclear family is not the norm. Uh, it's only industrialized countries uh, that nuclear family is not wrong. I, I, I totally subscribe to this idea that you know, it takes a village to raise a child. We need the help of either extended family uh, and friends uh, to raise a child. And that's why in the Catholic faith, we have got parents too, you know? that, that sort of thing. But having said that, I also recognize that sometimes the extended family can be a problem too, okay? So, I mean, it's not a perfect answer too. But the idea is that I think that uh, families uh, should... Uh, I mean, I, I think families should really enlist help. Maybe bef- a step before coming to see someone professional, maybe just to really reach out to a trusted uh, friends of extended family to help. Because obviously something between the child and the parent has gone wrong here um so maybe by having another relative step in they may have a fresh perspective to to the to, to, to the relationship you know? maybe an uncle a grandfather or a godfather or parent you know, um, may have different interests you know? maybe this godfather likes bowling and the other uh, The other family member likes going on cycling at the park, you know, that that sort of thing. Then they may expose the child to different things. So so I I think maybe that's, uh, uh, I mean, under such time the parents are willing to go for professional help, maybe enlisting, uh, you know, your your resources immediately before you, uh, relatives, friends, godparents, maybe it's a good first step.
0: Yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks. So it would appear that if I may summarize it so far, right, for parents, what we need to do is to build that relationship with our children, um, and really give them alternative options in terms of various activities that they can actually engage in rather than just gaming, so that they can see life is so much more meaningful than just games alone, right, computer gaming alone. And then along the way, as um, if, if if needed, we can always enlist the help of our, uh, good friends, relatives, godparents, and and so on to uh, be the so-called third party if necessary to come and uh, help in the uh, formation of our child. And then only if really things get really uh, off out of hand, then maybe we might need to uh, do um, seek some professional help. But there's a lot of things that we can do along the way before that, right? Yeah. So um, it would seem that there are so many things that we parents can do. Is there anything else um, in, uh, in terms of the use of uh, social media, devices, computers that you think parents can... Um, do uh, as a preventive um, aspect um, as they bring their ch- children up before they actually become gaming addicts. Uh,
1: I, I guess uh, if your resources allows you to, I, I would suggest that I, I know I know you know um, I I've got many friends who are grad parents uh, on weekends, right? I got friends who tell me that they clock hundred eighty kilometers on their on their vehicles on weekends their children, to all sorts of enrichment classes, but I think uh, if your resources allows you to, um, I think that we can expose our kids to a variety of activities, structured activities, uh, uh, even if you have to pay for it, uh, um, you know, just as an exposure, not because uh, we want to you know, fulfill the violinist that we never got to as a child. As, as my life, I couldn't be a violinist. I'm going to send my kids to violin classes or things like that. But really to expose themselves, uh, the kid to a variety of activities, be it like, you know, taekwondo, karate, you know, all, all sorts of activities other than gaming uh, in, a, in a so-called class structured Sort of way, I think if you if you have the resources, you have the, both resources in terms of time, in terms of money. Um, I think uh, this is a it's a good thing just to just get them exposed. The exposure is not to just the exposure to the activity, but it's also the exposure to the friends, the social group that comes with the activity, and hopefully they can find uh, some alternatives to just gaming. You know, to, as they are escape from the stress of the world.
0: Right. And I guess if uh, Catholic parents uh, falling along that line can form little support groups with other Catholic parents as well and you know, just get the families to come together, maybe pray together, support each other and help look after each other's kids and going out together and let the kids mix with each other outside the house and all that, it might probably give them a lot of uh, uh, support in those areas as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and I mean, even in church, I think in most churches, they would have... Youth activities. They would have catechism. Interestingly, I'm doing this uh, uh, talk now, but my my wife uh, uh, has kindly brought my kid to 3pm catechism at my church, and we are back to face to face catechism. So, I mean, I mean, there are all sorts of these activities out there that already uh, brings the person, gives them an alternative to the online world. Uh, again, I just want to say that the online world is something real, it's something uh, here to, to stay. In fact, we are just uh, one step behind the metaverse right now, which is yes. even more problematic. Absolutely. But uh, the online world is here to stay, we can't deny its existence, uh, we shouldn't shut it out, but it's just that we shouldn't bring it to the extreme that it affects the person's social behavior or their academic performance
0: yeah so it looks like um, like somebody once social media or use of devices devices can be a good slave but a very bad master
1: <laughs> yes yes
0: yeah. yeah well before we end do you have any like uh, last words of advice you'd like to give to catholic parents before we conclude
1: i think uh, if you try uh, some of the things we suggested in this discussion today and you really uh, really find no way uh, perhaps i think it's time to seek professional help because sometimes i'm sure the journey uh, in dealing with a child who's addicted to gaming is full of heartbreak it's uh, you know a lot of quarrels a lot of frustration so maybe uh it's time to seek professional help uh in in singapore um The group that is very active uh, in helping people with gaming addiction will be Touch Community Services. Uh, This is a uh, a social service agency, not-for-profit. You can go to Touch Community Services. Uh, At IMH where I work, uh, the National Addictions Management Service, NAMS, also has some services catering to this group, uh, to this problem. Uh, and you may also, for some people, they if they feel they're not comfortable with such services, they can even go to some private sector providers, uh, for which there are many. So uh, I think seeking help uh, externally when when one is really pushed to the corner, uh, maybe maybe a good thing to do. Uh, and I. Coming from the armed forces in the past, um, I dare say that NS is great for gaming addiction. (laughs) From my experience, enlisting in the national service breaks that cycle (laughs) of gaming addiction. Uh, You are forced to go into camp, and do physical activities and interact and you know, stay with others and all that sort of thing. So, uh, my, my, my experience, and I, I say this anecdotally and just my experience, uh, that uh, when I was dealing with the NS boys last time, uh, certainly uh, NS was very therapeutic for gaming ethics.
0: <laughs> I hope they agree with you too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, the other service which we could consider, of course, is. Uh, Catholic Family Life, which also has uh, a team of counselors to uh, help um, individuals who have uh, issues with the various personal relationship and family problems as well. So I think that's another um, avenue that uh, parents can uh, um, take note of and consider. Yeah. Okay, great. So thank you so much once again, uh, Christopher. It's been uh, once again, really great having you uh, on board. And uh, dear parents, thank you for being with us today. And uh, we just had a session with Dr. Christopher Chok. Uh, a psychiatrist, senior consultant, and chief with the Department of Forensic Psychiatry at the Institute of Mental Health. So, till we meet again the next time, take care and may God bless you and your always. Goodbye. Thank you.